We just finished our series in the book of Mark, and we're starting a brand new series in the book of Ruth. And we're going to spend a three-week series in Ruth, and once we finish with the series in Ruth, only a three-week series in Ruth, we're going to go into the book of 1 Peter for the rest of the summer. And so I loved our series in the book of Mark. I hope that you guys saw the Jesus that encountered all these people and ultimately sees the way he encounters us. Now, in this series of Ruth, I love the way, and there's many reasons we're doing this, many reasons why we're going from finishing Mark to Ruth for a short period and then back into 1 Peter. The main re- one reason was I love going, as you guys know, when we do our series, I love going from Old Testament to New Testament to Old Testament to New Testament. I love going back and forth. So we just finished Mark, we're going to go into Ruth, then we're going to 1 Peter, then we'll go back into the Old Testament. So this is kind of, you know, I'd like to, when we do our, choosing our books to study, I love doing that. The second reason I, said, I chose this is John Piper says this about the, the book of Ruth. It's a story that shows how God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. It's a story for people who wonder where God is when there's no dreams or visions or prophets. It's for people who wonder where God is when one tragedy after another attacks their faith. It's a story for people who wonder whether a life of integrity in tough times is worth it. And it's a story for people who can't imagine that anything great could ever come of their ordinary lives of faith. It's a refreshing and encouraging book. And I want you to be refreshed and encouraged. I love that. I love that description that John Piper had of the book of Ruth. So for this reason, in this time of struggle, for those who are in struggle and out, I want you to see the meaning and the story behind Ruth. There's something I've noticed about myself lately. It's slightly concerning to me. I've become a crier. It's true. It's so extreme. I'm openly admitting this to everybody, confessing this. I used to never cry. I mean, maybe occasionally if it was something really powerful. I might, like, there might be a little tear that comes out now. But lately, I've become a true crier. I don't know why. Maybe I have, I'm a father now. I, I've become more in touch with my emotions, more sensitive. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is, but I've become a crier. True story, true story. This morning, this morning on my drive in here into the church, it's like six in the morning, and I'm driving, and I have uh, sports radio on the radio. And it's like um, sports reporters is on there. And there's a story about Ernie Johnson. And he's the NBA commentator uh, for TNT. And he's talking about his story with his father, then his, his children that he adopted, and one of them is an uh, extreme special needs case, and their story together. I kid you not, I'm driving here, I'm weeping <laughs> in the car ride this morning. I, I'm not even just tears. I'm literally like, oh, <laughs> like wiping my eyes like this. It was, it was bad. It's, it's crazy, even like my, my wife was saying that like she's, um, we are at a wedding yesterday, and my wife said she was crying, and my wife's not that big a cry either, but she was crying because she said two things. She said, I'm crying because I was so happy for this beautiful wedding, but then I was also crying because we're losing Caroline. <laughs> I know, right? For all you guys at the wedding, like, oh. <laughs> and it's just crazy, because I've noticed more, I think, as a crier now who openly embraces his cry, guys, I'm telling you right now, I openly embrace crying. I recommend it for some of you. <laughs> but I will say this, now that I'm a crier, I see things honestly through those lens. And the book of Ruth to me starts and ends with crying. I mean, this is what this for me, this is how this book starts and ends. It it ends starts and ends with crying. It says here in the first 5 verses. If you look at the screen, I'll show you the first 5 verses here. 
says there's a famine in the land, and there's this woman named Naomi. And in this famine that happens in this land forces her to move to another country. So picture with me Naomi here. So because there's a famine, in other words, they're hungry. So first of all, famine comes, disaster comes, suffering comes. That forces her to move to another land. So then not only is there struggling financial situation, not only is there famine, now she moves. So she leaves her home, leaves her people, knows the people that she knows and loves, or what she's used to, she moves to a different land. But not just any land, but it says Moab. And if you guys knew a little bit of history here, it's, they considered it a godless place. You know, so not only is she moving, but she's also moving to a place where there is no God for her. This is for of godless people. So then she, famine in the land, then moves away, but then something even more tragic happens. She loses her husband. So she experiences struggle in the land, moves to a, a different strange land. When she gets there, her husband dies. After her husband dies, her children her sons, maybe she experiences joy for a little while. She says, yes, they're married. But at the same time, she's probably like, well, they married Moabites. So she's like, I can't. Culturally, that's not good for me. Culturally, that means I'm, I've stooped pretty low, is how she felt. But maybe there was joy in that, but then joy so quickly went away. Her sons died. So this is what I mean by starting in tears. This story, in a quick few verses, it literally has tragedy after tragedy after tragedy happen. And in my mind, when I picture Naomi, I picture somebody who is just weeping, somebody broken, somebody who is crying because she is absolutely suffering. Maybe you've asked at some point suffering. Maybe, maybe you could see yourself in the situation where Naomi is like, why am I cursed by God? Why, first of all, my land that I was in is cursed by famine. Then I go to a godless place, then my husband dies, then my children marry maybe, un, maybe godless people, but then my sons die. And she can feel, she's just suffering, these tears in her eyes saying, maybe I'm cursed. Why am I cursed? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Maybe you've experienced suffering after suffering, situation after situation. Maybe that's a question that comes to mind. Am I cursed? Why am I cursed? But I love how this book, I said it starts and it ends in crying. So if you guys want to, in your Bibles, flip to the Ruth chapter 4. I don't have it up here, but if you want to, flip to Ruth chapter 4. Starting in verse 13. This is what it says. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. My mom, when she first heard, it was one of those situations, me and Gina were so excited to announce that we were pregnant to both sets of our parents. 
So they both happened to be visiting us. We kind of planned that out at the same time. We both happened to be visiting us, and we were like, hey, we want to give you guys a present. They're like, why are you giving us a present? Oh, we just wanted to give you a present. So we're, like, they, get, they can't tell, but I have my phone out. I'm recording it, and they don't even know what I'm, they probably don't even know what phones are, but they, <laughs> they don't know what I'm doing. I probably didn't even have to hide. I could have been like this. and still wouldn't know what was going on. But so I'm recording them. They're opening this present up, and out comes this mug that each get, and it says, world's greatest grandma. And they look at it, and they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> and my mom looks at us and goes, is this like a hopeful thing that we're praying for? <laughs> and, and then I look at Gina, and I, I, Gina just goes, in Korean, she says, I'm pregnant. And my mom's face just goes like, like, like literally for like five seconds, she's kind of like, and her eyes get really big. She starts crying right there, just so, so happy. And then when Josiah was born, and my mom came up to visit, and there was a song that she would sing. It's a, it's a Korean song. I think she used to make it up. There was like a, a popular Korean melody, like a folk song melody she used to sing to me. And I actually still remember it. But then she held Josiah and would rock back and forth singing the same song that she used to sing to me and just start crying. And I picture this when I see this part. This is what I picture when I see Naomi hearing the news that her beloved stepdaughter Ruth is redeemed, is pregnant, is going to get to hold this baby. I picture my mom, you know, rocking this baby, and she's ending the book in tears. See, I love the book of Ruth, because it starts with crying, and it ends with crying. It's this beautiful story of redemption. It's a powerful message that the people of Israel needed to hear at this time, and I want us to hear grasp and understand. If you go back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, 1 says this. It says that the story took place during the time of Judges. And very clear, in the very first verse, it's very intentional. It says, in the day when the Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So very intentional about stating the date. Placing it in context. And so the story took place during the time of Judges. This was a 400 roughly year period after Israel entered the promised land under Joshua and before there were any kings. So kind of roughly, if you had to say about 1500 BC, 1100 BC in that area. And the book of Judges comes just before Ruth in our English Bibles. And you can see from its very last verse what sort of period it was. Judges 21-25 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, it was, it was a dark time for Israel. The people would sin, God would send enemies, the people would cry for help, God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And again and again, the people rebelled, and from all outward appearances, it looks like this is the promised land, this is the kingdom, it looked like darkness was winning. And in this period comes this text. You guys with me so far? In this dark period comes this text. So if you go back to the text, after all of Naomi's weeping at the beginning, she decides to go home. And before she does, she turns to her daughters-in-law and urges them to leave her. So let's go back now. We're going back to Ruth at the very beginning. We just set the context of where this is set, a dark period in Israel's history, a period where they're kind of like, what's going on, God? This is the promised land, but we seem to be overrun with enemies. A judge will come up and deliver us, but the enemies are still here. People seem to be running away. It was a dark time for Israel, and they're wondering what's going on. And so here's Naomi in this dark time herself. Here's Naomi in this 
midst of her suffering, in the midst of her sorrow, she says to two girls who seem to love her and who she seems to love, right? Doesn't it seem, like, doesn't that, that one thing that you get immediately in chapter one, that you seem to see this sweet, sweet relationship with Orpah? Which, by the way, I heard this, I don't know if this is true, but I heard Oprah was almost, like, supposed to be Orpah, and there was, like, something misspelling there. Is that true? Can anybody confirm this? Is it true? I read it on the internet. Wikipedia told you? <laughs> Mind you, I'm not professing that to be true. I'm just saying I heard it. <laughs> so I heard Oprah was based off Orpah, which makes sense, but it could also just be like, that's where they got that name, Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. Okay, either way. There seems to be this sweet relationship, and Naomi looks at them and says, go, go home. I love you too much for you to come back with me. You're still young. You still have life. And Naomi's kind of almost consented herself to like, I have no life. I have no worth. Back then, your worth was found on the fact of whether, who you were married to, uh, your husband or your sons. And so she was literally stating, I have nothing to offer you. I have no worth. Go home. I love you too much to bring you with me. And they both were like, no, no, I can't. I'm not going home. I, I need to be with you. We love you. But she's like insisting, go. I have nothing else to give you. So Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and left. But I love this. It says Ruth clung to her. Clung to her. And then she gives this amazing answer. It says, do not urge me to leave you or return from you. For where you will go, I, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me more so. If anything but death departs me from you. This is one of the best descriptions of salvation to the Gentiles in the Old Testament that I've ever seen. This is a Gentile woman who was not a chosen people of Israel. This, is a, this was a Moabite, an enemy of God, from a godless place, who literally says, your God is my God, your people, my people. This is salvation to the Gentiles. This is salvation. Guys, when people say, like to make the statement that salvation to the Gentiles is only a New Testament thing, they are incorrect. Do you guys hear me? This was always God's plan. You can see Abraham. You see all from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through. Salvation for all peoples. All tribes. All tongues. All nations. And I love that description of it. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, Proverbs is the book that comes right before the book of Ruth. Who knows how the book of Proverbs ends? Anybody? What does it close with? Book of Proverbs. Say that again? Proverbs 31, and that talks about what? Something, the, what about the woman? The wise woman, yes. Woman of noble character, the virtuous woman. Correct? Good job, all of you guys. That's how the book of Proverbs ends. It ends with the wise woman, the virtuous woman, the woman of noble character. But then right after that, the Hebrew Bible, what book is it? What did I say? Ruth, a virtuous woman. Boaz calls Ruth, use that exact same phrase, virtuous woman. That's what he calls her. But get this, it's a Moabite that he calls a virtuous woman. Think about that. Here's Proverbs for the Hebrew people who are reading this. The Israelite people are reading this. Proverbs at the very end talks about the virtuous woman. And the very next book says, who's an example of that virtuous woman? Ruth, a Moabite. Do you get that? Do you see how big that is? You guys with me? 
Do you see how big that is? That is a huge statement. And I don't want you guys to miss that. Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law, destitute mother-in-law, is, is astonishing. It means first that she's willing to leave her own family and land. It means, as far as she knows, a life of widow, being a widow and childless. Because Naomi has no man or other relative that she knows of to give to Ruth. But also means going to a new land with new people. But the most incredible, most radical thing is that she literally says, your God will be my God. Now, I don't know, maybe Naomi, maybe Ruth, uh, Naomi's son shared the stories of who her God is. Maybe Naomi shared. But in the midst of bitterness, how in the world does Ruth, in the midst of Naomi's bitterness almost against God, she must have saw something. I don't know what that something is, but Ruth saw a picture of a God that she's willing and choosing to follow. We have a picture of, of a virtuous woman, and here's what I want you to understand. A virtuous woman is not only defined by her willingness to cling or her willingness to be loyal. The most important factor of a virtuous woman here is that it's, she sees faith in God beyond present bitter setbacks. I want you to hear this. What made Ruth a virtuous woman was that she was willing and cho she chose to follow, chose to believe, and chose to love despite the bitterness that was currently happening in her life. This is a woman who just lost her husband. This is a woman who's about to leave her home, her native land, go to a strange place. Guys, I want you to hear this very well. Often people often decide, what is, what, is, what is Proverbs 31 talking about when it talks about a virtuous woman? What is Proverbs 31 talking about a woman of, what was, what was the phrase you used again? Woman of noble character. And it lists all this stuff, but ultimately what it comes down to, what a, person, a woman of virtuousness, a person, woman of virtue, a woman of noble character, is a woman who chooses to follow God in the midst of whatever circumstances happen. Because let me be honest with you, we don't know what circumstances you're going to face. What situation you're going to be in. But one who chooses to love. I, this is what I said at the wedding yesterday, by the way. This is, this is my thing with marriages, and I, I say it all the time. Is that I, I'm such a big fan of marriage because a marriage is a vow. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. It's not a present just reality of I feel emotional. I feel love for you. We're so in love. This is awesome. It's a vow and a promise that says tomorrow I will still love you. Tomorrow, I will choose to love you. A year from now, I will choose to love you. Because if it was based on pure emotion, who can make that statement, right? If, it, if, if, if marriage was based on this kind of idea of like, oh, I just fell in love, or I just feel overwhelming emotional love for you, well, you can't make that commitment because you don't know if you're going to feel that way tomorrow, right? I'll be honest with you. Gina's not here, right? Okay, good. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, there are moments where she's kicking me awake and asking me to go mow the yard or something. I'm like, oh, I don't feel love for you right now. Guys, if it's based on our own emotion, you guys know our emotions are fickle. And this is what a woman of noble character is. If your relationship and your commitment to God is based on how well God has treated you at its current moment and current happenstance, then that is not a woman of virtuous character. But a woman of virtuous character is one who chooses despite the circumstances and says, I will choose to love you tomorrow. Do you guys hear that? That's for all of us. Every one of us. Because can I tell you something? There is 
a message that's going around right now. And it's permeating just our theology, but it also affects our marriages, right? Our theology is that, you know, whatever feels good, do that. If, if God is here to make you feel good about yourself and to give you a lot of worth and, you know, that's, that's, that's what's most important. Is God, does he make you feel good? And are you doing better in positive thinking, right? But if that's the case, and you see how, how it affects our marriages, because marriage is all about well, falling in love and feeling warm and fuzzy, you know? And if that doesn't happen tomorrow, then that's okay. You can just fall in love with somebody else. Guys, can I tell you? that never in the Bible does it promise that your life will be easy. Many places in the Bible talks about you bearing the cross. Many places in the Bible does it show you examples of suffering. But can I also make a promise in that? All throughout the Bible shows that suffering leads to glory. All throughout the Bible shows redemption. All throughout the Bible shows of the promise of the glory of God and the living Savior that we have. And the kingdom that is everlasting, that he is advancing now. Are you beginning to get it? The book of Ruth was written to Israelites during a time, a seemingly dark time of judges, where they're wondering about this promised land. They're wondering about this mighty rule and reign of God. They see enemies pressing in. They see unfaithfulness flooding their streets. And they might start feeling bitter like Naomi did. But then in the end of chapter 1, verse 19... It says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Which I wonder why they didn't recognize her. It's only been, it said 10 years, right? And these are not like mega metropolises. It's not like you're leaving Durham and coming back to Durham, people don't recognize you because it's a big city. These are their hometown. This is where like, what was, it? what was the name of your town, Megan? Or was it Casey's town that was really small? Allender, Allender, North Carolina. She told me that it was like, like, like describe how small the town is. You shared something with it. Um, it's about 750 people. Yeah. Stop one stoplight. I've never, ever, like, I can imagine a town that small. Like, it's like foreign to me. I'm like, what? 750 people? Like, my high school had like 5,000, you know? <laughs> But it's, it's a town even smaller than, it, it wasn't like this metropolis, thriving metropolis. It's, you're known, you're recognized when you come back and you leave. It's like Allender, which Megan's a celebrity, by the way. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they come back and they don't recognize her. Maybe it's because life was hard and she doesn't look the same. Maybe she went possibly joyful and hopeful and came back bitter. But she looks at them and says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Full. She had family. She had two sons. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Lord has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The question of Ruth 1 is, why has God dealt bitterly with Naomi? It's not her sin. It's not God's lack of favor. The hint is in Bethlehem, where she is from. Bethlehem, which means a harvest, is coming. 
This is to people who are looking at a time of judges where it's a difficult time, a godless time, and they don't see the hope that is coming. And the people are written, being written to and saying, look at Naomi, she's bitter, she's questioning God, but she's coming to a place. See, the story is starting to play. They're placing a picture. They're saying, hey, here it is, guys. This is foreshadowing. She's going to Bethlehem. It means the harvest is coming. It means though your sorrow is here right now, God is bringing forth redemption. Though it is difficult now, God has a plan for you. As a matter of fact, he's even using your sorrow and your difficulties to fulfill his even bigger and greater plan. Guys, what came out of Naomi's bitterness in this, we saw it, ended, started in tears and ended in tears. What came? A child came, right? What was the child's name? Trivia quickly. That's right. Obed, who was the father of? Jesse, who was the father of? David. Do you see? What ultimately comes is comes the greatest, second greatest, I'll say the second greatest king of Israel, because the greatest king comes later. What ultimately comes is redemption. See, even in his sorrow, which is, the, which is so crazy, you guys got to get this. This is what the, the writer of Ruth is trying to explain to the people of Judges. Here is coming redemption. Here is coming hope that your bitterness has a purpose. Your sorrow has a reason. And it's better than just not having any reason. God is using it. And he's going to redeem it. Do you believe it? Here comes the king of Israel. Here comes David out of this line. But even bigger, and I love this, guys. I want you to hear this. That if you look at the genealogy of Jesus listed out in Mark, there's a name that you see on there. Do you guys know what name that is specifically that's connected to this? Ruth. That's huge. In the genealogy of David, there's a woman mentioned, and this woman was a Moabite. This woman was a Moabite. You'd figure, guys, if people were making up the story of Jesus, if people were making up this whole situation, that you would figure they would not put a Moabite on there because that's just dumb. That almost diminishes in the eyes of the Israelite who like to keep a pure line. They want to say, oh, Jesus is, is the son of God. He's all this stuff. Well, then, well, he must be pure, right? And in their eyes, pure would mean purely Israel, direct line, direct descendant. Matter of fact, you guys remember when Paul was talking about, you know, my credentials, here they are, here's my line, here's who I was trained under. That's what they would do for this as well, but very intentionally because this is the way God moved. He wanted to show that Jesus and salvation was for all peoples, all nations. He was intentional about using Naomi's suffering to bring in the Moabites, to bring in the Gentiles, to bring in you and me. Suffering that leads to glory. Where are you right now? Are you facing bitterness over the sufferings that you are facing? Do you ask God why? God, what are you doing? God, why are you doing this? I often wonder how others can live without having trust in God during the hardest of circumstances. Because I, for one, need to know that God is working even in suffering. Guys, I, I need to know that even in the worst of times, the worst of circumstances that make no sense to my life at all, that there is still something bigger than me happening. 
Because otherwise it'd be pointless and meaningless. And pointless and meaningless suffering hurts my heart and my head. I need to know that there's a glory bigger. There's a meaning more powerful. Even if I can't understand it, I need to know that in my hardship that there is a Bethlehem. There is a harvest. Um, this is on Friday night. Somebody that used to go to our church sat across the table from me um, at, at a rehearsal dinner. And she asked me a question. She goes, how are you doing? How are things going? And so, you know, like most people in that situation, you're like, oh, everything's good. How about you? But then for some strange reason, I just, I don't know, I just wanted to be a little more real. And we just started kind of sharing a little bit more about life. Because she was, she was sharing being more real and vulnerable. So I was like, I want to be more real and vulnerable. I'll, I'll just be honest. And I just shared that, um, I mean, things are great. Things are great. But honestly, we're having a little bit of tough time coping with um, my son's diagnos- diagnosis, diagnosis of being on the autism spectrum. And so I was just kind of like, you know, I mean, just everything's great and he's awesome and everything's incredible, but we're just kind of struggling with that. It's, it's, it's hard dealing with um, speech pathology treatments twice a week and behavioral treatment twice a week and then having to add occupational therapy and then all this kind of stuff and then like, Gina, like on Friday, was with Josiah and saw him at the playground. And he's by himself, and none of the other kids are playing with him. And Gina was really sad about that. He's by himself, and um, just being honest and real with that, and just sharing that. That's I, I, there's I know there's so many worse things out there in life and everything, but just to be honest, it, it you know affects our hearts, and um, it's hard, and, and we're dealing with it. And in, in that moment, I'm sharing this with her. I, I honestly, I, was, I said, but you know what? It's incredible. Even in my limited sight, I can still see God is using that. He's, I know he's shaping me and he's shaping Gina. He's using that to shape others and help others around us. But I also need to know and need to hope that for some reason that God ultimately in his glory is going to receive more glory by this happening. I don't know how. I don't know why. But I need to believe that. Because it gives purpose to it. And it gives purpose to my life. Because I always say this, the human condition is we want to be known, we want to be loved. But guys, we also need purpose. Purpose to the hard questions. Purpose for the, the, the hard situations. Purpose that gets us through our sufferings. Whatever they may be. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you're sitting here and you're having health issues. And you're just like, why God are you doing this? Why am I not healed yet? This stinks, God. And maybe you're here today, you're suffering, why did I have to lose that person, God? That's hard. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, why did I have to leave my home? Why is my financial issue so hard? Why did I lose my job? And you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know. And I can't tell you the answer. I can't tell you, well, because you're going to get a new job and it's better. You're going to make more money. Or you're going to have another kid and that's going to answer all your questions. No, I can't say that to you. But I can tell you this, that I have a God who promises a harvest. Yes. God, I have a God, God, I want you to get this, who, who fulfilled it in Jesus so that now every one of us, we have a living hope, it says in 1 Peter. A living hope and an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, kept for us. So that my hope is this, that no matter what happens on this earth, no matter what hardship will ever happen in my life, I have a God who knows me, who loves me, and he's going to accomplish his purpose. 
That's us. That's our reality. And this book, Ruth, is written to the Israelite people and say, guys, this is bitter and the taste is hard right now. Sorrow is real right now. But let me tell you, Bethlehem happened. Harvest is coming. Believe it. Be encouraged by it. So that when you face whatever hardship comes in your life, you're not facing it with this kind of like, oh, well, I don't get it. There's no point to it. No, no, you're facing it, looking at it, and saying my reality, who I am, what happens in the future, what's happening now is I am a beloved child who is known and who's loved, and God is working specific purpose out. And his glory will be accomplished. That is the message of Ruth to the people of Israel. I believe that's his message to us today. Let's pray. God, we, God we, we so often don't know exactly what you're doing. Not just often, all the time, God. We don't often see with your eyes. But God, those glimpses that we get when we look back and see what you've done in the book through the life of the Israelite people in the time of Judges and through the, the story of Ruth, we see now that you're doing it. So God, may one day we see even now the purpose of our sufferings. God, and may we be like Ruth and say, God, no matter our present circumstances, we choose to believe you. We choose to hope in you. That's what makes Ruth virtuous, God. Well, may we be virtuous because we choose to follow you. So that we understand no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what hardship or suffering, it has purpose. Thank you for being our living hope. In Jesus' name, amen.